Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of the Eupopolis podcast. I'm Kristen Nogler, host of the podcast, child life specialist, and Eupopolis national program manager. I hope you're having a wonderful day and that you're looking forward to this episode as our podcast gets taken over by Amaya, our intern who joined Eupopolis for the fall from McMaster University. She's going to speak today with two youth who are living life with Crohn's disease and getting perspective on things from them, as well as hearing about their experience through getting diagnosis. I'm super excited, and now I'm going to hand my mic over to Amaya. Thank you, Amaya. Take it away. Hi, everyone. I'm Amaya, and as Krista mentioned, I'm interning with Eupopolis right now. I really view this internship as the beginning of my career as a future child life specialist, so I'm really excited about this opportunity to learn more about Crohn's and colitis and how it affects youth's lives, as well as to learn more about the process of podcasting in general, which Krista has been so kind as to teach me. I'm super happy to be here speaking today and to get to know these awesome youth that we have with us. No further ado, I'm going to hand it over to the youth to introduce themselves and share a little bit about their diagnosis. So Megan, take it away. Hi, obviously I'm Megan. I was diagnosed in 2015. I actually got this. I was in there for half a year. I missed part of summer, most of my school year. And I actually got out five days before I turned 12, which was, I guess, good timing but I was in and out of the hospital with Crohn's. And at first we actually didn't know what was wrong. At the beginning of summer, right after school had started, I barely could do anything. I couldn't even eat like a plain noodle without getting sick. One night my mom told my dad, you need to take her to the hospital. We went to Emerge and In one day, I had to go to three different hospitals. I had to go in an ambulance for one of them. And it was really scary because being an 11-year-old kid going through this, you have no idea what's wrong with you. I at first thought it was a flu because I, after school one day, my sister and I went to a bookstore. And as soon as my mom picked us up, I was immediately sick. But five minutes before I felt perfectly fine. It was an immediate change in my mood, in my health. I was diagnosed with Crohn's a few days later, but I also had pneumonia too. So I had to take a lot of medication all in one day. And every morning at like 7am, I was woken up by a nurse saying, Hey, we have to take your blood work every single day. And it was so hard. It, was, it took a really bad emotional toll on me, and I don't think anyone realized how bad it was. Because not only does it affect you physically, but it affects you mentally and emotionally, because what was I supposed to do? There was nothing I could do. I felt completely alone. Sounds really, really hard, and um, yeah, I can't imagine how that was for you, but I thank you so much for being here with us today and for sharing that with us. Um, Rebecca, would you? Well, my name is Rebecca, and I was diagnosed with Crohn's when I was nine years old, back in 2013. It all kind of started before Christmas time. I thought I just had like flu or something, and I got really sick. I hid it for a while because I guess I was scared. 
I didn't really know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I could tell someone about it. It was just really weird compared to normal to like just be a normal healthy kid and then go to like feeling sick all the time and like going to the bathroom all the time. Finally told my parents and we went to like multiple doctors and I got lots of tests and things. They thought it was celiac disease and H. pylori. We went to like a ton of different things it could have been. Then I got referred, I got diagnosed with Crohn's. But it was really hard at first. It was a lot of pain. Like I'd cry myself to sleep every night trying to sleep with it. I didn't really start feeling better until I got put on steroids, which was really hard. It's hard to like go through all the physical changes when you get put on something like that because you get like really puffy and emotional and it was just hard like being able to tell my friends what was going on that that sounds really hard I kind of talked about your diagnoses and I'm seeing a lot of similarities between those with you both talked about how you felt really sick and you were really scared and kind of there was this period of trying to figure out what exactly the was going on before you were diagnosed with Crohn's. Sounds like there was a lot of different procedures and a lot of pain and just a lot of uncertainty. So I can't imagine how that felt. Um, Was there one feeling or one really strong concern that stood out to you around the time that you were diagnosed? Probably I didn't know if I was going to get better. The doctors at first thought it was an eating disorder because I would, I couldn't eat anything. And it made sense because I am a smaller girl. So they were like, oh, it's probably just that. But my mom, she said, no, that cannot be it. That isn't it. And they were, she was right because if the doctors had sent me home, I probably wouldn't have lived. It was terrifying as a little kid I think for me it was also the fear of the unknown just not knowing what's wrong with you and going from feeling great to feeling not so great and trying to adjust your life to that it's such a big change and like I feel like a lot of people don't actually know what Crohn's and colitis is because when I was diagnosed I had never heard of it so I didn't really know like what my future was going to look like like what this means like 20 years from now, what I'll be like, and if I'll feel better or not. So I was kind of scared of that at first. A lot of youth who are diagnosed with Crohn's or colitis would echo what you just said about wondering how it's going to impact their future. And am I ever going to feel like I felt before ever again? So yeah, I think that's a really great point. Krista, did you have anything to add? I do. Rebecca, you made a really good point there is that a lot of youth don't know what it is because we don't talk about poop. We don't talk about bowel stuff on the regular. And especially when you're a teenager, that's not what you talk to your friends about. And you were just talking about like being on the steroids and having to deal with the side effects of those, as well as being a teenager and having to deal with, you know, the side effects that come with being a teenager. So now all of a sudden you're getting puffy and you're getting breakouts and you're dealing with weight gain from steroids and that type of thing that that's a lot for a teenager plus all of a sudden you have to feel like maybe you're explaining why you're having to go to the washroom all the time or you know trying to find and make sure washrooms are close by and that type of thing very challenging and definitely something that we don't talk about a lot 
Yeah, it's kind of something that when you're younger, you get taught not to talk about that sort of thing. I feel like a lot of people, when they first get sick, they feel like they can't share what's going on. So they kind of just keep it to themselves because it's something you're always taught. Like you don't talk about that to others. Now that you've been diagnosed for a while, has has talking about it gotten any easier? Well, when it comes to people asking me questions, not like I don't share it unless someone absolutely like wants to know unless someone asks me knowing what I know now I can explain it better and I can tell them what it really is it'll be easier to explain instead of them googling it because you have all the answers right inside your head and that's actually a perfect segue into my next question which was I talked to other healthcare providers before coming on here today just to ask them about uh, their experiences working with youth with Crohn's and colitis. And they suggested that people not look much up on Google about their condition after being diagnosed, uh, just because you don't, there's so much out there and it's hard to make sure your source is a credible source. And so I'm wondering when you were first diagnosed and even up until now, what type of information, resources, or anything like that, what type of that did you find helpful and where did you find it? From doctors and my mom. When I first got diagnosed, my mom really dove into it because she wanted to make sure I was okay. She didn't want to lose a daughter. You know, you never want to lose someone, especially, you know, your own child. So what I got, I would get sort of complicated answers from the doctors but then my mom would dumb it down for me for a little kid and she would google stuff on her own and she would ask the doctor's questions a little kid wouldn't know what to ask and she would relay it all back to me so I understood and that was really helpful because again like we both mentioned we didn't know what was happening so it was good to have someone in your corner Absolutely. Yeah. Your parent can be your best uh, advocate when you're younger and maybe you don't understand things as much or you're not as comfortable asking the doctors all the questions that you might be when you're older. So Rebecca, what about you? I think doctors were also like a great help for me. I was lucky and got some really good doctors who were able to explain it very clearly to me. Mm-hmm. And I made sure to like ask any questions I had about what was going on. But I also found like trying to find people in the community that like had it or knew someone with it helped, like asking them what they went through and like what advice they would have for someone new. That was a big help too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Peers who are going through the same thing and are around the same age, that can be so, so helpful in finding out strategies for how they manage it and also just feeling like you're, you're not so alone. Um, So on that note, have either of you been involved in any types of organized peer support groups? I know that you both are members on Eupopolis, which is so awesome. We have our Crohn's and colitis space where you can come for that specific information. But outside of that, um, I'm wondering about anything like going to camp. I've been going to one camp in Alberta for, like I mentioned earlier, for four years it was actually the first camp I ever went to. So obviously, even just going to one camp 
for overnight is terrifying enough, but when it's in a completely different place where I had to fly all by myself, that was even worse. But the second I got there, everyone was so kind and they were so nice and warm because they knew what I was going through and they understood on a different level than how a friend or parent would understand because they had, we share the same experience and it was fantastic. I've made lifelong friends who I talk to, even though we live in different countries and it just felt amazing knowing that there were people like me because I felt alone, even because I didn't know anyone. No one in my community who had it was my age. I didn't have anyone to talk to. But after going to a camp with everyone like that, it really helped my self-confidence. It helped me fear about myself. It was fantastic. Rebecca? I've also gone to camp, not the first year after I was diagnosed, but the year after. And it was extremely nerve-wracking. Like, I hadn't been away from home for that long before. And especially, like, going somewhere unknown where I didn't know anyone, I was really scared. But as soon as I got there, I met so many friends, and they all knew exactly what I was going through. And they just, like, you relate to them on a whole different level, which is why you feel so close to them. Like, even though I only spent, like, a week with them a year, I feel like I've known them forever because we just relate so much. I've also participated in, like, gutsy walks around my community, which was another great way to, like, meet some people going through the same thing and just kind of feel like a community with it and spreading awareness. So you both kind of talked about how going to those camps, you were both kind of nervous and and it sounds like you had to step out of your comfort zone to feel comfortable Um, and what I mean by that is you had to step out of your comfort zone go to a a new province for you Megan and Rebecca go to an overnight camp and be away from home and everything that you were familiar with and then in this place outside of your comfort zone you found all these people who made you feel supported and like you weren't going through the only person in the world who was going through what you're going through. Um, so yeah, I can definitely see that there's incredible, incredible value in that. And so you both talked a lot about how having this new diagnosis can be so scary and there's this fear of the unknown and how's this going to impact my future. And I'm sure there's so many other things whirling around your head at that time as a youth who has things going on outside of what's going on with your health too. So I'm just wondering if you both had um, two tips or pieces of advice that you would give to another youth with a new diagnosis. Seemed like the end of the world because I, I didn't know what to do. I had missed almost a year of school. I didn't get to spend a summer with my friends doing whatever we wanted. I I was in the hospital, sometimes alone. So a tip would be that it it saves your life, it, whether it's a surgery or hundreds of procedures, whether it's just having to take medication every while. It it saves your life. It really does, and it makes you feel 
so much better. And that's all that matters. The people I told my friends, they don't think any less of me. They still love and care for me and they are concerned for my health. They want to know if I'm okay. Whenever I go to the hospital, they want to know what's up. They want to know if I'm going to be fine. They really care. You don't ever have to tell anyone, but they don't think less of you. And if you do, then those are the people you don't need in your life. It sounds like that would be a time for sure where you're worrying about missing, like you talked about missing a year of school and time with friends and um, just kind of that life that you were living before that felt normal. And now all of a sudden you're not feeling, you're feeling really sick and you're in the hospital and all these things are changing. So I can definitely see how getting that diagnosis kind of opens some doors to having the treatments you need to get better. Great. And a really awesome point. Rebecca, what about you? I would say try not to be scared to share how you're feeling and make sure that you like self-advocate for yourself and speak out about what's going on. Like whenever you're at the doctor, make sure you tell them how you're feeling and what's going on so they know and they can help you feel better. And don't be scared that you're going to make others feel sad or like your family and friends, like don't be scared they're going to be sad about how you're feeling. Like just share how you're feeling because they'll be there to help you and help you through what you're going through. And you talked about advocating for yourself. And and I think that's a really great tip too. Some of the other healthcare providers I, I talked to, one of their tips was for youth who were newly diagnosed was to make sure you're asking all the questions. Ask your doctor, ask your nurse, ask your parents, anything that you're wondering, because there is no such thing as a silly question. Um, and it's better to get that that information. And I know it can be really intimidating as a young person to ask this doctor who, um, you know, has all this experience and all this knowledge, but, um, you know, that's why they have all that experience and knowledge is to try and make it easier for you to be there. So yeah, that's a really, really great point. So we talked earlier, Megan, about how you have some experience with having tube feeds. And this is something that a lot of individuals with Crohn's and colitis have have to have in their treatments. And I know that some families aren't sure how to manage the change of someone not being able to eat as they normally would. Uh, Food is such a big part of different cultures and our routines as humans uh, within our family, within our friendships. So I'm wondering for you, how did you manage mealtime or any sort of social event involving food with family and friends? And how did you adapt to not being able to eat? That's a really good question. Um, I, after the hospital, I was, I was hooked up to a little IV pole and I had to carry it around with me everywhere. So I actually didn't go to any social gatherings. Plus I was still really sick, Mm -hmm. but for mealtime, I just sat with my family. I would have the hole right behind me and you know everyone would eat and sometimes yeah it would make me a little uncomfortable but it was important to me to be there with my family after not being able to be anywhere near them because sometimes I had to be quarantined in my hospital room yeah you just sit there and you you do what you would if you could eat 
it's kind of like an elephant in the room, but once you get past the anxiety and maybe for some even embarrassment, it really doesn't change anything. You can just sip on water. If you can have clear fluids, you can have those. Sometimes you can't talk about your day. Ask your parents how work was, what your sibling did in school, whatever you really want to. It doesn't change much. To me, it was kind of nice when I could go back to school, though, because I didn't have to carry a lunchbox with me. So it wasn't weighing me down. <laughs> I missed eating. I did. Because I, I don't know. I just I missed not being able to have chocolate or ice cream or sushi, whatever. It, it isn't the end of the world. And you know what? It's as long as you're healthy. That's all that matters. You're so right there, Megan. Like it's not the end of the world, but in the moment, it probably feels that way. And it probably feels that way for parents because they feel so helpless in having to continue a routine that they want you to be a part of and not knowing where the line is in, do we eat in front of someone who's being tube fed or do we sneak our meals around when they're not home or when they're up in their room or how do you, how do you handle that? And I've talked to some other youth who have said that they really loved, like you said, the family time, that quality time around the table that we all tend to have around mealtime. And so that's one of the things that they asked their parents to continue to do is that they didn't necessarily want to sit there while they were eating, but they wanted to have like a board game every night or to work on a puzzle or something just to sit around and talk as a family and do something. What she did say was that she would have popsicles when everybody else was having something because she was allowed to have popsicles, but to let people know that there's a warning with that and that you will probably not want to have popsicles ever again in your life. I agree with that point. Looking back, I realized how foolish I was. I would be totally upset, but it really didn't matter. Looking back, I don't even remember most of what happened at night when I was still, there would sometimes be that, you know, annoying beeping saying, hey, fill whatever up, fix this. And my parents would have to do that. And that part I did hate. I didn't, I didn't like it. It bothered me that because I sometimes would feel like a burden, but I wasn't. And it, it took that emotional toll. But again, it all that matters is being with your family and your friends and being healthy. So my family would sometimes sneak around. If we were in the hospital, they would, I would tell my mom, Hey, if you're going to eat that, can you please do it somewhere where I can't see? Because it would, it would bother me. But the sneaking around part, once I got used to it, I didn't, I was fine. I was like, okay, eat in front of me. I'm, I'm used to it by now. And I didn't want to be treated like I was fragile because I wasn't a glass doll. I wasn't, I was human. And sometimes I just felt like I was being too protected and that I needed a bit of freedom and I needed a bit of space to be me again, to be a little rambunctious kid. Yeah, that's a really, really valuable, amazing perspective, Megan. Uh, Thank you for sharing all of that. I think what I'm kind of taking from your answer is that when this is happening to other families, to yourself, 
it sounds like communication is really super important. Um, it sounds like you at first when you were, um, when your family was eating around you in the hospital, you had to say, okay, uh, would you mind stepping outside? Because you, you couldn't deal with it at that time. And then as time kind of went on, you were like, no, eat in front of me because I, what's important to me right now is, is spending time with you while I can, while I'm home, while I'm not in the hospital. So yeah, I guess what I'm taking from that is communication is, is super important with your family around that time to find out what everybody's comfortable with and, and how everybody's feeling about that. It really did matter. And I, I wasn't one, I'm still not one who likes to talk about how I feel, but in times like that, it's incredibly important. I felt sometimes though, like I've been crowded and cushioned. It, it was nice knowing they would do whatever it took to make me comfortable. It meant a lot. We talked about, you know, how two feet can be uh, a part of the treatment process for a lot of people with Crohn's. And I know that there are so, so many other procedures and kind of treatment pathways that are so individual to each person and um, to their individual illness. So I'm wondering, I know that these treatments can have a lot of impact on your physical health, your mental health, and just on your daily life in general. So Rebecca, I was wondering if you could talk about how your treatment and the path that you were on, if that had any kind of an impact on your daily life. Well, like I said earlier, when I was on steroids, that had a lot of impact on my like physical well-being, but also my mental well-being, because there was a lot of side effects with that. And it was hard to manage it, I guess. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. such a big change. But then there were some other treatment paths that had some other side effects like nausea, which was really hard to manage, like planning my week around it, like trying to figure out a day I could take it that wouldn't like mess up my plans because I never felt good afterwards. So it was just hard. Like if I had a friend over and I had to take my medication, it was like, I felt like I had to hide it from them, even though it's my treatment. It's what's making me feel better. So I shouldn't be hiding it from others. And there was also the part of like, well, once I take my treatment, I'm not going to feel well anymore. And I'm going to feel bad because I'm not going to be myself around them anymore. And then there's also the side of like getting infusions, that sort of thing. And that's hard because with that, you have to like miss a day of school or miss like your hobbies or whatever you have going on. And it's like you get behind on things and you feel, I guess, overwhelmed when you go back because you just missed another day for your treatment. But really, that shouldn't be your concern because the treatment's what's making you feel all right. So you should focus on that and the rest will all be all right in the end. And everyone will understand that you're just doing what makes you feel good. So you just talked about so many different ways that that having that treatment can impact your daily life from, you know, the mental side effects, the physical side effects of having the nausea, um, social side effects of feeling, uh, you know, like you have to hide it from your friends or, you know, are they going 
to accept that. And, and just, I think in general, something I'm picking up from both of your answers has been how time consuming the treatment can be and how, you know, having that, that time to of course attend to your health, which is the most important thing to get better. But it also makes that it so that you have to miss out on school or your hobbies or, you know, birthday parties, whatever it may be. And, you know, that although it's not the end of the world, it can definitely feel like that. And it's each person's reality, what they're going through. And so that has to be honored. And so I agree with Rebecca's point about being really overwhelmed the first day I went back to school, I it was I was excited to be around so many of my friends, but I was nervous. I didn't know any of the schoolwork. I was actually I was in a split class and I did the younger grades work because I didn't know how to do the upper one and it took me a year or two to ca- to actually catch up and it was it was hard, but you know, I have so much help and all the resources. So I, I eventually did it and I managed to get through it all. I think that that's one thing that 2020 has taught all youth is just how tricky it is for a youth who gets a medical diagnosis or maybe a family member gets sick and they have to miss a huge chunk of school. In 2020, when people ended up missing school or switching to virtual, it gave them a real insight into what it's like for youth, what it's like for you guys who have a medical diagnosis and who have to miss a lot of school or have to really pivot and do things totally differently than what you're used to. And then that whole feeling of isolation that people got to experience as part of that, I think that that will develop a lot of empathy in our youth today and in other parents and in school teachers and everybody and giving them a better understanding of what it's like for you guys when you get a new diagnosis. Absolutely. Yep. We are all learning adaptability in this this time period, but I feel like now people without chronic illnesses are kind of got a taste of what it's like for people with chronic illnesses who have to deal with that every day, have to deal with catching up and and you know, feeling like their life isn't normal. So that's a really good point, Krista. Thank you. Um, so you both talked about throughout your, you know, being diagnosed throughout your treatment processes, how, how it can impact your daily life and understandably how stressful that can be for you, for your family, everyone around you. Um, but especially for you, you're the one who's going through it. So, you know, we know that being able to cope with, with stress and frustration is a very important skill to have in life, but especially for those living with Crohn's and or colitis, because we know there's a strong link between stress and, and gut health. So I'm wondering if you could tell me two of your favorite strat- strategies for managing stress in your life. For, for me, I, well, I fidget a lot. So I have this little um, stress ball with a spike on it. Well, a few. And also a little snake almost. It has the block and the blocks and you um, just play with it. It's on a string. So that helps a lot. And also I wind down to music. I listen to at least 20 minutes a day. And that actually really helps, whether it's calm music or it's really energetic 
I find it actually really helps with my anxiety. Yeah, winding down to even just a TV show, doing yoga or a workout is really helpful. I know a lot of people don't want to work out, but then watch a movie, listen to uh, your favorite song and it helps. Absolutely. I think that nothing, no strategy is too small if it's something that helps you to cope with stress in your life. So those are all really, really great suggestions. Uh, Rebecca, what about you? I think for me, my biggest way of coping is doing the hobbies I love doing. Mm -hmm. So personally, I'm really into dance and music. I do singing and piano. And I think a lot of people actually, when they get sick, they feel like they can't do that stuff anymore. Like they can't go back to their normal lives, but they should continue to do their hobbies and do the things they love because it'll make them feel so much happier and relieve all that stress that they're feeling. And even if you're not feeling the best, you should still try to surround yourself with the hobbies and things you love to do. Like to relieve is just by talking to my friends. I talk to my friends all the time. Even the people I met from camp that live far away, we message almost every day. And I talk to them and it always brings a smile to my face. So important to spend your time doing the things that you love. And So we've talked so much about kind of both of your pathways and the feelings and the emotions and the everything in between diagnosis to treatment to now. Um, and you've, you've given really great strategies for other youth who might have Crohn's or colitis and who are feeling, you know, all of the things that you talked about from overwhelmed to frustrated, to scared, to nervous. So I guess the, my last question here to kind of sum things up is what is something that you wish people in general understood about what it's like to be a youth living with Crohn's or colitis? It is considered an invisible disability. And I think a lot of people don't know that. And they say, oh, you look fine. Oh, you're probably making it up. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. We may look okay, but we're not, truth be told. Because it feels like I have to pretend that I'm okay. And it feels like I have to fake a smile and just go through the pain on my own, which I already do enough. But it feels like I can't talk to someone even more. And it just, it doesn't make sense to me why it would get treated on a different level. But also when you do tell people you can be treated like a, like a marinette, like your own strings and you're, everyone's walking on eggshells around you. And that's not what we need. Already in the hospital, we get treated like a little doll. So when I'm with my friends or my family, I don't want them to treat me like that either. It it makes you feel less human, in my opinion. It makes me feel like a child, and I'm not anymore. And I want to be treated my age, but with everyone asking, are you okay? Are you okay? How are you feeling today? Maybe you should sit down. No, I don't want to sit down. I want to stand up. I want to run around. I want to (laughs) play. I want to do what a teenager would do. I don't want to be treated different just because of what I'm going through because what I'm going through is making me tougher. It's made me tougher than a lot of people. My sister, even my older one even mentions that 
in this aspect, I'm tougher than her because we all went through hell and back and we lived and we're here today. We are so, we are damaged, but we're mentally and emotionally, physically stronger than most people, even teenagers with this, where we can handle a lot more than you think. I'm probably more capable. I'm capable of handling this more than my classmates. And I want to be treated like I can. I want to be treated like I'm the tough person I am. And I don't want people to assume that just because I look the way I look or I have what I have that I'm weaker because I'm not. Really powerful answer uh, to for everyone to take home with them for this question. Um, and I think too, a lot of what you're talking about, uh, about people kind of not knowing how to act or feeling like they're walking on eggshells or like, you know, treating you like a child. I think a lot of that comes from a need for greater visibility about this invisible visibility, right? Like a lot <laughs> of it needs more advocacy. And so, you know, hopefully we can do some of that with that this podcast and then there are other other kind of avenues for that but um i i can see how that would be really frustrating for you and um and yeah you you know you also talked about having to pretend and and fake that you're okay and you shouldn't have to do that right um you should be able to to express how you're feeling so thank you for that i think that's really powerful and rebecca what about you I wish more people just knew about it in general and knew what really was going on. A lot of people downplay this sort of thing where it is invisible and you can't see it. This is something that's kept quiet. It's not really like talked about much. So people just sort of assume, oh, they're just experiencing like cramps or, oh, it's all in their head. But really, it's not. It's a lot bigger than that. And it takes a lot of strength to deal with it. I just wish people knew more and knew what we were all going through. Because it's really hard when you're in this situation. So both of you basically kind of talked about the need for more awareness and more advocacy about Crohn's and colitis and uh, how it affects the lives of the people who have it in such a big way. That was my last question. I'm inspired by both of your courage to come here and speak so candidly about your experience um, having Crohn's and about the treatment and how it's impacted every single aspect of your life. I'm, I'm blown away by that and also inspired by your resiliency in the stories that you've told and in, in getting through your diagnoses and your treatments. I think that this is going to be so, so valuable for not only other youth with Crohn's or colitis, but also the healthcare providers and the adults that support them and, and work with them. So thank you so, so, so much for coming to chat with us today. I learned so much as an intern. I'm sure a lot of other people are going to learn a lot too. So thank you. Thank you for having us. It was very nice being able to speak about it. Yeah, it feels sometimes like you can't speak about anything, but this was an amazing opportunity for me and for all of us. So thank you again. So that's a wrap on the podcast for today. I'm so appreciative that Megan and Rebecca joined us 
to speak about their experiences living with Crohn's. And if you're a youth out there, I hope that this I hope that listening to this podcast was helpful in making you feel like you're not alone. And hopefully you came out with a few strategies for managing your illness. And if you're an adult or a healthcare provider, I hope that listening to this podcast was valuable to learn about the experience from a youth's perspective. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Krista, for having me on the podcast today. It was great, Amaya, to have you do the podcast takeover today. I know it's a great learning experience to hear from the youth themselves, but also to get the experience to make a podcast and learn about delivering child life via technology and the web. So take care and don't forget to leave your comments and subscribe. And we will see you on the next episode.